Hello and welcome to the Super Rain Wave Podcast. I'm Nat. And this is Tom Helmuth. Uh, this is the podcast where we play you video game music, both originals and remixes. Um, if you are not familiar with us, you can check us out at podcast.rainwave.cc. Um, feel free to send us an email if you want to chime in at uh, podcast at rainwave.cc. Or uh, check us out on iTunes or uh, Stitcher. Um, yeah, all right, we have all the plugs out of the way. Great, so I don't think we have any other top of the show business. Um, so let's go straight into the music this week. Yeah, this week we're looking at uh, boss music. Music that plays during boss fights. Yeah, I, I ended up mostly, well, I guess about half and half with sort of final boss music and uh, then just some other mini boss type stuff. Um, but it's, it's fun to, to listen to a bunch of boss music and uh, see how it comes together. Yeah, I ended up kind of inadvertently making it a final boss episode. I think five of mine are from endgame fights. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So it'll be fun to hear these and see, see the types of things that they have in common. Um, I'm going to start us off today with a track from a Commodore 64 game. Um, this is going to be from the game Myth. by. It's composed by uh, Joran Tell. Um, so this is going to be the final boss theme, um, and I guess that's about it. I hope you like it.
That was the final boss music from the game Myth, which was composed by Jerome Tell for the Commodore 64. Um, I like this track because it sort of feels like an extended guitar solo the whole way through the track. Um, definitely has that very European um, Commodore 64 method of composing with the arpeggios in the background and the, the strong influences from prog rock. Um, as it's just a fun track to listen to. Yeah, it doesn't really sound like boss music, it just sounds like sort of a quintessential Commodore-style track with the arpeggios and the guitar voice in the lead. Yeah, and this is a bit older of a game. Um, I guess this is from uh, 1989. It's developed by a company I've never heard of called Magnetic Scrolls. Um, and evidently it's a game that's sort of like a text adventure, except that there's you see pictures of the areas you're in. Um, but it sounds like it uh, wasn't that great of a game, but uh, it got a soundtrack with, uh, I think, only two tracks by Jero and Tell, but they're good good tracks at that. Yeah, Jero and Tell, I might be wrong, but I think he wrote a bunch of tracks for games that seemed kind of subpar. Yeah, yeah, he got a... He's sort of like the Fulham Brothers in that I think he just took the the jobs where they came and and made good music even for sort of not that great of games. Yep. Alright. Well, we have a great game next, so there's that. Excellent. Next up, we've got the endgame boss music from Yoshi's Island. I love this game. It was one of the first games that I really got into as a kid. And, um... Like most Mario games, it's Koji Kondo. He did an amazing job with the soundtrack. A lot of variety. I love it because most of the game you hear this really up-tempo stuff. There's there's some ragtime and some sort of poppy tracks. Yeah. And then you get to the end, and you hear this, and it's just so out of left field. Um, I'm going to play it for you now and then come back and talk about it a bit. This is Koopa.
again, that was the track Koopa, the final boss music from Yoshi's Island, composed by Koji Kondo. And I always love this because in-game, the boss fight itself has a pretty strong impact, and this comes in, it's the only thing even remotely resembling rock music, and it's this over-the-top metal theme with these guitar solos that never end. And it's just so cool. Yeah. It's it's so weird hearing uh, Koji Kondo do metal like that's not what you associate with him, um, especially when, on this soundtrack. This the soundtrack itself is so playful and uh, has so many like happy-go-lucky themes that it's it, it's totally out of left field. Yeah, and it kind of matches because the boss fight itself shifts the gameplay a little bit into something pretty weird, and I guess he was trying to match that. Yeah. Yeah, it's fun to, to see how, I mean, this is, this sounds a lot more like uh, what you'd expect a boss fight to sound like than the first track I played. Um, so I'm sure we're going to be hearing a lot of that in, uh, in the rest of this episode. I also always liked the guitar voice that the Super Nintendo had that a lot of, uh, a lot of soundtracks use was sort of a little bit raw, I guess. Hmm. So in this track you hear the lead's almost more like an organ or a keyboard sound. That's what I was thinking, yeah, it sounds like a, a hard key, a hard organ or something. Um, and that's really cool. Alright, um, so let's go to my next track. Um, I'm gonna take it to a remix. Um, so I'm gonna do a remix from the Final Fantasy VII soundtrack, um, obviously composed by uh, Nobuo Uematsu. Um, and this remix is going to obviously be of the one-winged angel theme um, from that soundtrack. Obviously a, a very famous song. Um, and this remix is going to be by Prototype Raptor, and the remix is called Badass.
So there you go, that was uh, Badass, a remix from Final Fantasy VII by Prototype Raptor, uh, which came out, uh, Final Fantasy VII, obviously on the PlayStation, composed by Nobuo Uematsu. 
Um, that remix was released on OC Remix as part of their Boss Themes album. Um, an album that really had a lot of hard-hitting tracks. Um, they really tried to make it pretty dark and a lot of uh, hard metal and hard electronica songs. Um, and so I really like this this take on the one-winged angel theme. Um, I think it takes takes that theme and sort of obviously makes it very electronic and uh, adds a lot of bass and makes it a little dancey and uh, it's it's really nice the the directions I think that uh, Prototype Raptor took this song. Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting direction certainly. Um, really heavy, really repetitive. Um, really good use, I think, of the low synth to really give it a bass. Yeah, this I think this song uh, was made a little before dubstep was coming into fashion, which. I'm sort of glad about it. I feel like if dubstep had been popular, he would have tried to make this a dubstep song and it maybe would have ruined it. So it's it's got that like almost dubstep feel with those those really growly basses, but it's not really a dubstep song. Yeah, I think I prefer that a little bit here. Because yeah. it's not really my kind of music, but I can see what he's going for and I think he hits it pretty well. Yeah. Uh, I had one idea, which is, I don't think we've discussed the actual bosses yet. Um, so this is the music, the uh, remix of the music for Sephiroth. Um, have you ever played Final Fantasy VII? Not really. I, tr I started it once and then I never got back to it. I, I haven't played it either, so I don't know anything about Sephiroth, even though I know I should. <laughs> um, um, I think he has long hair, so let's, let's go with that. Alright, sounds good. Um, <laughs> I mean, obviously, uh, the song that you played last was uh, a track for uh, Yoshi's Island. For Yoshi's Island, so that was Bowser, uh, a Bowser track. Um, yeah, in that game, it's actually Baby Bowser. Baby Bowser, who's the the final boss. All right, cool, excellent. So, uh, just wanted to think about who these bosses are and, and how that affects the the music. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, the next boss is called Solaris. Uh, I don't know what that is, so I, it was kind of a bad transition. Alright. Uh, but Solaris was apparently the boss to Sonic 2006. Sonic 2006, alright. Uh, this soundtrack, obviously the game was somewhat panned. Um, soundtrack, though, was actually, I thought, pretty good. It was largely composed by Tomoya Otani who's gone on to become sort of a staple Sega composer for Sonic games. He worked on uh, Heroes, 2006, Colors, etc. Mm -hmm. And he's one of the guys responsible for that sort of modern Sonic sound where it's like really straightforward guitar music. It's just fun. Sure. And I kind of like that. Uh, the boss theme here is actually um, sort of a take on the main theme of the game, which was his world. It's instrumental, don't worry. Um, so let's let's run with that, get back to it. This is Solaris Phase 2.
That was Solaris Phase 2 from Sonic the Hedgehog via the modern game from 2006, composed by Tomoya Otani. Uh, the track itself is a take on his world, which was the main theme. I can't remember offhand who performed the other version of it. Mm. Probably Crush 40. Yeah, probably. Um, I thought it was... it's just a really solid song, I think. Uh, combines this orchestral thing on top of the, uh, the hard rock layers of guitar. I think it's just pretty effective. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it has a lot of the, the classic boss sound to it with the, uh, the heavy symphonic sound going into the, the rock over the, the orchestra, and it's, yeah, it's a nice, a nice, uh, a nice track. It also does something that I think is interesting that a lot of games do, where late in the game they'll bring back, um, some overture or some refrain from the rest of the game's soundtrack, mm. and that's... A really interesting device um, compositionally because it brings back something familiar and the player has already heard it and likes it, it creates sort of a sense of coming full circle. Sure. In this case, I haven't played the game myself yet, but I imagine it would have been effective if the game had been. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this game did not uh, do very well, did it? Um, yeah, I, I think that would be an understatement. <laughs> Yeah. Speaking of which, didn't Sonic Boom just come out? Uh, I don't know. I have not heard. It, um, it does not look good. Oh yeah? Anyway. Anyway, alright, let's uh, go to my next track. Um, this track is going to be a little bit different. It's not really going to sound very boss music-like, but it's a good song. Um, this is going to be from a game that I know very little about uh, called Rainbow Cotton. Um, is a game for the Dreamcast. I think it's sort of a 3D shmup, but I'm not sure. Um, this was composed by Great Nakamura, and Great, that's obviously an alias. I don't know what if Nakamura is really his last name or her last name. Um, but so let's go into the music. This is going to be the final boss theme.
Alright, that was the final boss theme from Rainbow Cotton. Are you sure? Uh, yeah, <laughs> composed by Great Nakamura for the Dreamcast. Um, so this track obviously does not sound like final boss music. Um, this is very laid back and has a nice disco vibe. But like, wow, it's, this would not get me like all hyped up to fight a final boss. Yeah, it sounds like music for a cutscene between levels or something. It's just very smooth, very easygoing. Right. Yeah, so it's, it's this is quite a weird game. It's sort of a rails shooter like, uh, like Star Fox, um, except you're a witch riding on a broom. Um, didn't get very good reviews, and I think it may have only been released in Japan. So Yes. So this is a very uh, not... Not a uh, well-known game or soundtrack, but I, actually the, the rest of the soundtrack is pretty good. Um, it's it's very similar to this track, a lot of um, sort of disco and funky tracks, but uh, I found it to be very enjoyable, surprisingly, for, for such a weird game. Yeah, I like this kind of music quite a bit. Um, really nice to hear that horn arrangement. You don't hear that done well. You know, usually it's the older soundtracks that have, like, MIDI horns. Yeah, the, the old MIDI horns, that always sounds questionable. <laughs> and I like that, uh, that percussion in the intro and then that break right there. Sure. Let's see. I'm gonna go next to... We have, uh, the Prince Dale boss battle from Freedom Planet. Okay. Have you played Freedom Planet? I haven't yet. I've been so busy lately that I haven't got around to it. Everybody should play Freedom Planet. Alright. Everybody. I'll, I'll put it on my list. Best Sonic game in 20 years. <laughs> if you're not familiar, it's uh, an indie game from earlier this year. Um, it started out as a Sonic fan game, and then the developer broke off and created his own thing as sort of a tribute to the Sonic games from Genesis. Um, and mechanically, it matches up just as well as like Sonic 2 and 3. Hmm. Soundtrack was by uh, Wuffle and Strife. Yeah. I, I assume those are their real names? <laughs> of course. Yep. I believe... I believe one of them is from Fur Affinity, so take that as you will. Um, soundtrack's actually quite nice. Uh, Let's just play a bit for you now. Again, this is uh, the Prince Dale boss battle.
again, that was Prince Dale Boss Battle from Game Freedom Planet, composed by Wuffle and Strife. <laughs> Sorry, I just can't say that with straight face. Seriously. Yeah. <laughs> um, this song in particular, it's another one that has sort of that combination of uh, symphonic and rock elements. Um, a little more electronica, like in the percussion and stuff, it's not mm. as... Um, it's not as clear-cut as the last track that I played was. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a track that gets your blood pumping and uh, would get you excited to, to fight the boss. Yeah, I kind of like that. It's it's like the most boss music-y boss music so far. Yeah, definitely. Um, a yes. lot of boss music, actually, especially in, um, in older games, was like this where they'd have phrases that were repeated for a long time for some reason. Mm, yeah. Yeah, if you think back to games uh, like Mega Man 2 comes to mind, where the uh, the Dr. Wily uh, song, spoilers, uh, <laughs> spoilers, Mega Man 2, uh, the, the Dr. Wily song that plays when you're fighting the final form of Dr. Wily uh, is very repetitive. It just, like, has the same, like, five-second loop, except it, like, changes the, the starting note. Um, no, but a lot, yeah, you're right, a lot of tracks had very repetitive boss musics back in the day. Yeah, I mean, all the boss music from Mega Man, um, at least through 6, was usually like a 20 second loop. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, and that, <laughs> I'm wondering if that's why we don't have as much chiptune and NES stuff that, as, as we usually do on this episode is... A lot of that music just is is pretty short and and might be really good to hear in game, but might not be the best to listen to outside of game. Yeah, I kept going back and listening to uh, chiptune soundtracks. It was, I looked through and there was no boss music that was longer than forty seconds. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, bringing it back to the song, um, I, I do really like that combination of the the high strings um, with the sort of low. Uh, it sounds like there's a, a low guitar in there, or at least a, some rhythm guitar or rhythm bass going on. Yeah. Um, and that's I, I like that uh, that combination. It really feels uh, like pump up music. So, so let's go on to my next track. Um, I'm going to be playing a remix from Super Mario 64, uh, our uh, second Koji Kondo track of the day. Um, this remix is by an artist who's recently become one of my favorite remixers, and I think is also uh, up there on Nat's list. Um, this is DDR Kirby, sorry, DDR Kirby ISQ, uh, which is the weirdest name ever, but uh, especially because the ISQ is in parentheses. So, do you know the story uh, behind that offhand? Because uh, I. I've always wondered. I, I have no idea. Uh, his real name is Timothy Wong, so that's a lot easier to say. Um, but let's uh, so let's hear this remix. This is a remix of three different themes: um, Koopa's Road and Ultimate Koopa from Super Mario sixty four. So there's the uh, Bowser theme, and then the uh, sub sub castle BGM from uh, Super Mario World gets mixed in. Um, so. Here is the song, Welcome to My Castle.
Alright, that great remix was Welcome to My Castle by DDR Kirby, Kirby I can't say that, <laughs> DDR Kirby Ice Q uh, from Super Mario 64 for the Nintendo 64, originally composed by Koji Kondo. Um, so this is a, a great track uh, and has the classic uh, DDR Kirby ISQ sound. Does he have a classic um, sound now? He has, I think he has a classic sound. He has like five remixes. <laughs> and like um, 45 albums. His band right. camp page is crazy. Uh, yeah, he, he's, he does tons of these uh, one-hour compo things where you can only spend one hour making a track. Um, and then they, like, vote on who's doing the best, and he does, like, all of them, so he's, uh, and he releases all of them, so he, his Bandcamp page has, like, I don't know, 50 or 100 albums on it. A, a lot of them are also soundtracks, which impresses me. He does a lot of indie work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And so this, this, uh, track in particular is interesting in that he is, is for a competition where you could only use the uh, the basic plugins and samples from the Fruity Loops studio. Um, so that means like he's, he's not using any custom sound fonts or like really upgraded uh, instrumentation and it I mean it works really well for his style because it has that very clean synth sound to it um, with the very glitchy drums um, and it's it, it's so fun to listen to. Yeah, you know, because it's using the FL Studio um, core synths and samples, uh, it does a lot of things like this drum breakdown here that would sound super cheesy anywhere else, but he he knows what he's doing with them. Right, totally. Right here where this uh, the Super Mario World castle theme comes in, that's great. It, it, it fits in so nicely and it doesn't at all seem out of place. Um, I love how that that uh, those arpeggios just fit in and then goes back into the Koopa's Road theme. Um, yeah, that transition is so slick. It's so smooth, so smooth. Um, and then later in the track, he goes into like a halftime breakdown where like the drums go super glitchy and uh, feels sort of slowed down. And it's he really knows how to, to take these these constraints and make it into a really nice uh, really nice product that's just fun to listen to. Yeah, and just in general, I've always liked his take on sort of the uh, it's sort of like a nine bit or um, is that is that the term now? Yeah, yeah, let's call it nine bit. A lot of his stuff, um, his albums and soundtracks and um, compo work is all in this kind of style, and he has a really effective way of making it his own. He totally does. It's, it's, like, the second I heard this remix, I mean, I'd seen it was him, but I, you can tell it's a, a one of his tracks. It's, it doesn't really sound like anything else that's out there right now. Yeah, I was, I just listened to uh, one of his albums, um, Love Everlasting, mm. just added it to Chiptune recently, and every song on there is like, oh, that's him. Yep, totally. He, he definitely has a signature sound, and uh, it's great. I, I hope he keeps making remixes and uh, original albums for a long time to come, because I really like his music. At this rate, he might never stop. That would be great. <laughs> Let's see. I have an arrangement next. Um, an official one at that. Okay. 
going back to a classic Street Fighter game, Double Dragon 2. Mm, yes. Um, this album was Double Dragon 2 The Revenge, an arrangement album from 1990. And uh, it sounds pretty much like what you'd expect from uh, this game's soundtrack. Really, uh, really 80s rock. Which I find a lot of fun. I know some people aren't into it. Yeah, totally. Um, let's see. Composed originally by uh, Kazunaka Yamane, and the arrangers were uh, Kazuhiro Hara and Nobuhito Tanahashi. So let's, uh, let's give this a listen. This is Miracle, or sorry, Roar of the Twin Dragons.
Was that, uh, uh were, were those sound effects really necessary there at the end? <laughs> yes, they were. <laughs> that was Roar of a, uh, Roar of a Twin Dragons, I believe, is the correct translation. Final right. boss music from Double Dragon 2. Um, and again, composed originally by Kazunaki Yamane, but this arrangement was Kazuhiro Hara and Nobuhito Tanahashi. And, uh, I think it speaks for itself. Yeah, they, uh, I think those two really like their orchestra hits, um, with, uh, the main sort of melody of the, uh, of the chorus hitting in those orchestra hits every time through was like, whoa. But, uh, but I, other than that, I actually sort of am digging this as, uh, an 80s rock song. Well, the um, thing about it is they commit to it and everything's over the top, the, the orchestra hits, um, the drum fills you hear a few times, the toms sound like every 80s band ever. They're booming and huge and unnecessary. Right, right. Yeah, those are the drums that made me think when I was a kid that I didn't like 80s music. Uh, but, uh, but they work here. At least they, they give it the, the 80s feel, which I guess makes sense because this was probably made in the 80s. Um. Well, and Double Dragon, I always thought it was supposed to be a little bit cheesy. I mean, oh, yeah. you're going around beating up greasers, so... Totally, totally. Alright, um... So let's go to my next song, um, which is going to be from an indie game, um, called Ares. Or, I don't know if you're supposed to pronounce the I letters, because so. it's a... Uh, it's an acronym, so it's A-R-E-S, -A Extinction Agenda. Um, this is a soundtrack that was composed by Hyperduck Soundworks um, for the PC. So let's uh, listen to the music and then talk about it. This is going to be Goliath and Carrion, Boss 1 and 2. <laughs>
That track was Goliath and Carrion, bus 1 and 2 from A.R.E.S. Extinction Agenda, uh, composed by Hyperdux Soundworks for the PC. Um, is that, uh, we just are, Nat and I are just both looking up Hyperdux Soundworks and finding out that it's actually a collective of musicians um, who have, uh, who make their soundtracks, uh, which makes a lot of sense because so I've heard some of their other soundtracks that don't sound anything like this. Yeah, I I was just going to roll with it, but since, but since you said we didn't know... <laughs> um, yeah, their soundtracks from 1 to the next are pretty inconsistent. So I always I always wondered why I'd hate one and then find the other really cool, but I just thought they weren't that great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this, uh, this soundtrack is... Uh, a lot of the tracks have this sort of heavy sound to them, a lot of heavy guitar, but also um, with a very electronic perspective on it. Um, I think this song in particular makes really good use of empty space. Um, there's, it's going on at uh, full throttle and then suddenly everything drops out and there's some silence for half a second. Um, I think that really helps emphasize different parts of the song and emphasize the transitions between the sort of more synth sounds and the more uh, guitar-based sounds, um, and it's just a, f a fun track to listen to. Yeah, it's. Uh, I kind of feel like it didn't go as in many places as I wanted it to. Like mm. this back section just kind of drags. Yeah. But I do like those breaks during it. Yeah, it's interesting that I, I I sort of feel like we're finding that in at least a lot of these soundtrack songs is. A lot of these songs, because it's a boss battle, they have to sit, stay really consistent throughout. Like, you don't want a song that, like, you beat the final boss, and right when you beat the final boss, you're at a really boring, like, calm part of the song. Um, so a lot of these songs, try, I think, try to stay very consistent throughout, where you, you have a, a high amount of energy and and doesn't feel like that energy really drops off. But that can lead to the, some of these tracks being a bit on the boring side. Um, after a bit. I wouldn't say boring so much, but it's like they'll they're more likely to take one riff and just run with that for 16 bars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which when you're listening to a podcast it is a bit much. Right. Yeah. Um, as an aside, I didn't really realize going into this we we're gonna be playing so much metal. Yeah. Yeah, it, uh, it, I mean, I, I think it makes sense. It, when you're thinking about boss themes, you're expecting a lot of the heavy tracks and a lot of uh, intense music, so I, I think it sort of makes sense. Well, we are going to keep on with that, because um, the next track is from Hardcore Uprising. Uh, this game, uh, composed by Daisuke Ishiwatare, um, and he is, of course, the developer behind uh, Guilty Gear and eventually Blaze Blue. Um, he works for Arc System Works and writes all their music now. And his style, if you've heard any Guilty Gear or Blaze Blue, um, it is super heavy metal, really fast, really aggressive, lots of guitars. So I hope you're not sick of that yet. <laughs> yep. This game in particular had some really interesting songs. Um, I thought he explored a little more uh, interesting uh, compositional spaces here than on his main soundtracks. Hmm. 
so this is going to be a stage 8 final boss.
Alright, uh, again, that was the Stage 8 final boss music from Hardcore Uprising, a uh, recent Contra sort of spin-off, or um, I'm not sure exactly how it fits into the series, composed by uh, Daisuke Ishiwatari. Um, and it's a very heavy metal track, a lot of guitars, a lot of soloing, um, brings in the uh, orchestra sound again, because I guess that's uh, popular. I guess you metal. have to, yeah, you have to have the the hard rock and the orchestra for for a boss track. Um, this one obviously is a bit more on the metal side of things, but uh, but they make up for it at the very end with that one breakdown. I know that, that came out of nowhere. I was like, I'm listening to a metal track. Holy cow! I'm now listening to a symphonic orchestra. And, <laughs> Where did that come from? And it fakes you out because you think, oh, maybe it's gonna stop and then build back up. And then it just goes away. Yeah, right. The, I think the guitarist was like, nah, nah, I can't listen to this anymore. Time to start playing again. <laughs> Need a little break. Um, I assume that the boss in this game is named bah Bahamut, which, uh, according to Wikipedia, is the main antagonist in the game. Um, but I don't know anything else about this game. Yeah, I uh, haven't played it. I never really was into the Contra style of gameplay. Yeah. Well, I I mean, I did appreciate the guitar work in this track. It's, it's hard to, to play a guitar solo for four minutes and, and keep it relatively uh, interesting. So, well, so this you know, track does a good job there. On its own, it stands up pretty well. It's I'm a little burned out after hearing uh, ten other songs that are in right. this vein. Totally. Alright, let's try something slightly different. Um, my last track of the day is going to be from Kid Icarus Uprising. Um, this game for the 3DS was composed by quite a few different composers, a lot of uh, really well-known composers. Um, the particular track I'm going to be playing is was composed by Yasunori Mitsuda, um, and so this is going to be Boss Battle 1.
All right, that track was Boss Battle 1 from Kid Icarus Uprising. Uh, that track was composed by Yasunori Mitsuda, famous for other soundtracks such as Chrono Trigger and Xenogears, um, as well as quite a few other soundtracks. Um, Kid Icarus Uprising had a really acclaimed soundtrack, um, had a really all-star cast of composers, um, including Matoi Sakuraba, Yuzo Koshiro, uh, Takahiro Nishi, uh, and so it's it's a soundtrack that really has a lot of great tracks. Um, it's especially for for a handheld game. This is a, a nice long soundtrack with a lot of variety, and um, a lot of people have have really enjoyed this soundtrack. Yeah, I was kind of surprised. Um seeing Mitsuda's name attached to uh, something this heavy, because, mm. you know, all the stuff that he's known for is um, on the other end of the spectrum. Yeah, yeah, all this work in, like, Chrono Trigger and Chrono Crosser tends to be very soft and very uh, emotional, and this this is totally the, the boss end of the spectrum. Um, it's, it's really nice, though. Um, I like that it kind of sets itself apart from some of these other tracks with the... Um, with a trumpet lead. Mm, yeah, yeah, it has that trumpet lead and has some other random instruments thrown in, like, uh, there's the harp that, like, goes into right before the chorus and and some other stuff that, that sets this track apart a bit from some of the other orchestra and hard rock tracks we've heard. Yeah, it's, it's really quite nice listening to it. Like, it, it doesn't feel like a straight metal track during the middle section. Mm, yeah, and I like definitely. that. All right, so I think I guess we're at the end of the episode. Um, you have one more track, I believe. Uh, yes. So, so that brings us to the end of the episode. Um, we hope you enjoyed this episode with that had a lot of uh, the sort of heavy metal and rock tracks, but also had some nice. Uh, departures like the the rainbow cotton track um and a few remixes that are a bit different um it, it, it de definitely feels like there's a, a lot of similar music when you're listening to boss music it's a bit formulaic at times but, but i think there is enough variety here to really make an interesting show yeah um i i mean i like boss music sometimes i didn't really realize it would be a bit uh, it sort of wears on you to hear this much of it mm -hmm. for me at least yeah yeah especially if you're not a huge fan of of metal or hard rock then i could definitely see this not being the uh, your favorite episode um i do want to mention if you like boss music want to hear something a little different uh last episode if you haven't heard it cave story had two uh really interesting remixes of the uh, last battle theme yes uh, both that, of those, a lot of fun, um, very different from your typical hard rock. Yeah, it's too bad we played those last episode, because we can't play them this episode. Actually, uh, that also reminds me, uh, next episode, I'll give a preview, we're going to be doing a Donkey Kong Country episode um, for all the games in the series. So that should and be that, less heavy. Yeah, that and that those soundtracks actually have some boss music that... That's a bit less heavy. Um, I didn't. I don't know if I'll be playing any, but uh, but it would have been interesting to bring in a, a Donkey Kong Country song to, to this mix. 
Yeah, you know, I actually looked at a lot of games for this episode that would have been different, but they were all games that we've already played a couple of times, and I thought, no, let's do something different, and... Right. That makes sense. Alright, uh, again, feel free to drop us a comment on our website, uh, podcast.rainwave.cc, or uh, send us an email at podcast.rainwave.cc. Um, hope you've enjoyed the episode, and I'll let Nat tell you about his last track. Yeah, we are going to bring things to a close, send you off with some end music from Earthbound. Um, I don't think there's much to say about Earthbound because it's become so ubiquitous lately. You it's know, so it's... funny, yeah. It, it seems like it's becoming really popular, even though it's uh, really old and impossible to get your hands on a, an actual cartridge. Yeah, but, you know, in, in Japan it was very successful. Um, it just came out recently on the Wii U Shop channel, whatever mm. it's called. Yeah. Um, a Kickstarter just ended uh, a while ago for a fan project to make all kinds of stuff. There was a fan-made book, there's there's an album in the works from Bad Dudes, so that's going to oh, cool. be a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, it's definitely become a pretty well-known game. Uh, the, the game's soundtrack was composed primarily by um, by Kichi Suzuki and Hirokazu Tanaka, and they were joined by uh, Hiroshi, Ka Hiroshi Kanazu and Toshiyuki Ueno, uh, who were uh, sort of assistants. Sure. And the soundtrack, I think everyone's heard a lot of that too, but if you haven't, very eclectic. It spans... I mean, from jazz to metal to experimental stuff, there's a lot of samples from uh, popular music, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this, this soundtrack is is very different compared to a lot of the soundtracks uh, coming out on the uh, Super Nintendo. Um, I think it's, it's largely because the composer, uh, Keiichi Suzuki, wasn't really a, a video game a composer going into it. He is sort of a popular music com uh, artist and composer. Um, and, and the combination of him doing that and the the uh, director, Shigesaru Itoi, he wasn't really a video game maker when this came out. So, so neither of them were really within the video game making community before making this game. And it, it really made it into a just a, a really weird wild game um and, and with with music that sounds like nothing else you'd find in on the system yeah that's a great explanation of sort of how it came together um itoi obviously maybe not obviously if you aren't familiar with him he's more of a personality i mean something of a celebrity in japan who decided to make this to tell this story through a game right. and so he approached it very differently it's it's an unusual game and Suzuki, as you said, was a somewhat popular, um, I'm not sure what you'd call him, musician, I guess. Yeah. Uh, he, I actually just tracked down one of his early albums from, uh, I think, the first band he had was really successful. And it's, it's sort of just jazzy rock kind of thing, and it's quite interesting. Yeah, but You yeah, can hear a... how he's coming at it from that angle. Right, there's sort of a, a bit experimental uh, music, and and it definitely translated to the soundtrack. Yeah, and if you want to track those down, um, he was with a band Hachimitsu Pai, 
and then eventually he went on to become pretty popular with the band Moonriders. Uh, they're pretty easy to find, I think. Okay. Anyway, uh, Earthbound. Alright, let's so, send it out with Earthbound. So, the Earthbound final boss music um, is called Pokey Means Business. It's one of the most popular tracks from a game. And it's it's kind of like Mario World, where or uh, Yoshi's Island, I mean, Mario World 2, where you've heard all this crazy stuff throughout the game, musically speaking, but then you get to the end, and it sort of comes at you out of left field with a super heavy metal track. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's another Super Nintendo soundtrack, so it has sort of a similar sound, but it's uh, pretty distinct. I think you'll is, enjoy it. Is this the track that uh, starts with a very chiptune sound and, and then goes into the metal section. That's the other interesting thing. Um, it's the only game on the Super Nintendo I'm aware of that actually has a chiptune, like, classic chiptune sound at one point. Yeah, it's it's so weird, because, like, the... And I assume that they just had to record it, because the, the Super Nintendo didn't have a sound chip, so that, that means they're... Or it didn't have like a, a sound generator um, synth, so that means that they sampled a chip tune to make the song. <laughs> so like they're playing a sample of a chip, um, which is is really wacky. Yeah, um, that's the most likely way I think. They were pretty good at manipulating it, but they also sampled a lot. Yeah. Um, one of the most famous ones was a track that sampled um, the Sgt. Pepper's Only Hearts Club Band reprise by the Beatles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, yeah. So, um, gonna send you out with Pokey Means Business, and we will see you next time.